I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. You know, one of the great things about this podcast is the number of voices and opinions that we can tap into because of the Chorus Radio Network. Derek Taylor, Kelly Moore, CJOB, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. we got Morley Scott, Dave Campbell, uh, the voice of the Edmonton Elks on 630 Chet. Our producer, Dave McIver, Mark Stephen, and myself here on 770 CHQR in Calgary. And Rick Zamperin is part of our Chorus family, longtime play-by-play voice of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, still covering the Tabbies on Global News Radio AM 900 CHML, and he joins us for today's uh, podcast, episode number six. Uh, Rick, welcome. Uh, How long have you been covering the Tabbies? Uh, Number one, great to be here. Number two, uh, geez, let's roll back the calendar. It has been since 2001 since I started covering the Hamilton Tiger Cats, started as a sideline reporter, moved to the pregame show, did the halftime show. Then finally jumped into the play-by-play booth in 2007, did that for eight seasons, had a, a whale of a time with the Tiger Cats, who never really uh, got their engine motoring until the final season that I did so in 2013 when they lost to the Rough Riders in Regina in the Grey Cup. We don't want to talk about that at all today, <laughs> other than me just mentioning it now. But yeah, it's been a heck of a ride for uh, right, more than back. two decades now. I can't believe it. And obviously you have a passion for the Canadian Football League, Rick. Man, this is a game that I have loved since I was a little kid from, uh, you know, cheering on the Argos way back when. And you might think, oh, here's a here's a former Argos fan turned Ticats fan. But yeah, it was true. Huge Conridge Holloway fan. I remember getting Joe Pow Pow's autograph at a practice in Mississauga once. And I just love this game. It's Canadiana. It's, uh, you know, just the fabric of our nation being on display on these beautiful fields from coast to coast and you know the athletes and the coaches and the builders and all the media members and the fans especially make this game unbelievable well i thought it was important to bring on an eastern voice you know for this podcast today Uh, derek taylor is the play-by-play voice of the winnipeg blue bombers he's worked in the east and now he's in the west of course uh, with the uh, formerly with the saskatchewan rough riders and now with the the winnipeg blue bombers because here we got our guys uh, and and derek taylor joins us as well Uh, here we are heading into week number six of the canadian football league season i look at the combined records right now in this league in the west 17 and 6 you've got two undefeated teams in the East, 2-13 and 13 is the combined record. Derek, I, I'm going to let you start. Is this a concern for the Canadian Football League? I, I am not concerned about it, though I, I would totally understand if, if people are. Uh, it's, it just kind of happens sometimes that in, in leagues that certain divisions, certain conferences get powerful, right? I, I'm a 90s NBA guy. Well, the East is a bunch of bruisers and the West is a bunch of showmen, right? That's something that started in the 80s. And, it just kind of plays out that way. But honestly, I think a lot of it goes back to ultimately tenure of, of certain individuals within the Canadian Football League. And uh, that led to sustained greatness. And that kind of takes us to, to where we are right now. But uh, I do remember a team being the in, I remember two teams being in both of the last two great cups. So there is greatness in other spots too. Rick, uh, what are your thoughts? I don't think it's a concern of the Canadian Football League. If it was, it would have been corrected years ago because we know that the crossover playoff spot has been in since, what, 95, 96? And each and every time, it's been a Western team crossing over to an Eastern team. And for the last two and a half decades, at least, 
the East Division primarily has been the weaker sister of the two. Um, so if it was a concern, the CFL would have done something by now, whether that's adding an Atlantic team or keeping Winnipeg in the East, although I know Bombers fans wouldn't want that, and not, nor do I. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not sure what the reason for it is. It's, it is it is what it is. The West has always been, at least in recent memory, stronger than the East. I would agree with you. It is what it is. But I, my finger points to quarterbacks. And and I think the best quarterbacks are in the West. But if you look at history, you know, when Anthony Calvillo was on top of his game, obviously uh, the balance of power shifted a little bit. You could say Doug Flutie when he was with the Toronto Argonauts, uh, you know, Russ Jackson in Ottawa, Danny Mack in, in, in Hamilton. Uh, to me, it's it's all about it's a quarterback driven league. I think we know that. And And where is the balance of power when it comes to quarterbacks? I do think it's in the West. Derek, do you agree or disagree? Uh, up until, I guess, up until this past season, like Michael Riley and Bo Levi Mitchell were the two that turned it, right? If, if Bo had been lured to the East at some point when, what, in 19, when the Argos were apparently all over him and trying to give him all the money in the world, then, then things might have changed. But, uh, I mean, other teams have gone, Winnipeg, where I call games from, went through a real state of flux at quarterback, right, over, over the decades. And now maybe Zach Calero settles it down for the next five years. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Bo Levi Mitchell and, and Michael Riley are, are two guys that could absolutely turn it. So I think you're, I think you're onto something there. And the, again, the consistency of, of personnel. Rick. Uh, yeah, I think you're onto something because, you know, the East has had some good QBs. You mentioned Calvillo, you know, Ricky Ray with Toronto, but it, it seems like when one or two teams in the East have a superstar quarterback, the other two don't, whereas in the West, primarily, and this is not each and every season, when there are some good quarterbacks, it's kind of spread out over, you know, two or three or maybe even four teams, whether it was, you know, Riley in BC uh, or even Ray in his Edmonton days, you know, Saskatchewan with Darian Durant back in the day, Calgary with whether it was Dickinson or Garcia or Bo Levi, you know, it, it seems like the West has primarily year in, year out, two or three really dominant QBs for the East might have one, maybe two, but the other two teams are really scrapping at the bottom or scraping the bottom of the barrel to get a franchise quarterback. And we're kind of seeing that to a degree playing out this season as well. Now we're in the infancy of it, but certainly you look at the records of the teams in the West, uh, apart from Edmonton, and they are absolutely dominating. Mm-hmm. And and the 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 equalizing factor is Edmonton doesn't have a quarterback. Anyway, I I digress here a little <laughs> bit on the on the podcast. Okay, so uh, this league has been around for over a hundred years, and we know you know history is is so important to this league. How important, in your opinion, guys, is it to have an East West? Grey Cup, because uh, right now there's no guarantee we have the crossover in play, as you've already talked about, Rick. You know, so we haven't seen it yet. But, you know, would it be bad for the Canadian Football League to have two Eastern teams in the Grey Cup or two Western teams in the Grey Cup? Uh, You know, some of the traditionalists will say, oh, that'd be the worst thing ever. Uh, Rick, I'll let you start. I think at the end of the day, the Grey Cup is a celebration of all nine teams and fans from all nine teams. So if we saw a, let's say, Saskatchewan-Winnipeg final in the Grey Cup, I think it would be phenomenal. 
that two rivals would meet in a championship game. But if we saw it year in and year out, Calgary, BC, Saskatchewan, Calgary, BC, Edmonton, year in and year out in the Grey Cup final, those Eastern teams and vice versa, if we saw Hamilton, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, year in and year out, I think there'd be some alienation. It wouldn't be the end of the world, but I think if we got those multiple back-to-back-to-back division-dominating kind of Grey Cup affairs, I think part of the league might feel a little left out. Mm -hmm. Okay, Derek, your thoughts? Oh, I, I'm totally fine with 2007 Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, uh, 2011 Winnipeg and BC. Like, I have no problem with the thought of two East or two West teams. I, I just, I, I just want the two best teams in the in the Grey Cup. Right. However, you get them there, right? And no, no West team has been able to make it totally through that crossover gauntlet. But though there is always hope for this year, I, I just want the two best teams. If again, I think to Rick's point as well. If, if it happened, you know, over 10 straight years, it was always two West teams. Well, okay, do I really want to how, – how excited am I as an Ottawa Red Blacks fan for uh, next season? Well, maybe not much, but the chances that that actually does happen, right? There, there aren't I, – I, other than Calgary Stampeders, which are the true outlier in this whole thing, like the, the thought that any, any four teams are going to share the Grey Cup over an extended run of time, I just don't think it's going to happen. So if we truly want to see the two best teams in the league, my feeling is, and, and I've been pushing this in Calgary probably for the last 10 years. Give it to me, Jock. You know I want it. Give it to I, me. I, I know you want it. <laughs> I, I want to see one division in the Canadian Football League. Hey, in 1995-96, you know, the, the failed American expansion, we did see a, an all-Canadian division. You know, they, they called it the North Division back in the day. I, I loved it, you know, during the pandemic in the National Hockey League when they had the all-Canadian division. Doesn't that set up? The, the 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 opportunity to get the two best teams in the Grey Cup, Derek. You go. Oh, I I love it. Absolutely, do it. It's only it's only nine teams in the Canadian Football League. Let's right. just let's just figure out who the best ones are, and let's not. Um, okay, Hamilton in, in nineteen you know, changes up, but if if the top three teams in the league were somehow in the West Division, making them play each other to get to the Grey Cup to then play a, a nine win team, it just sounds unfair, right? What's the benefit of being the best team in the league and going 13 and five. Oh, you get to play a 12 and four team or a 12 and four team in the West final. Woohoo. Like let's, let's just, let's get, let's embrace this. Let's, let's say there are benefits to winning the whole thing and winning the whole thing in the regular season. Let's, let's do it. I mean, let's do it. I, this, this being said, uh, I, I predicted, uh, I predicted Calgary to win the gray cup in what was it? 16 and Calgary to win the gray cup in 17. And they both lost surprise upsets to uh, Ottawa. And then, Toronto's 100-yard touchdown factory in 2017. So, yeah, I get the best teams in the Grey Cup. That's all I want because those teams probably have the biggest stars too. Are you going to make this unanimous, Rick? You know, I, I've contemplated the one-division phenomenon for years, and I love it and I hate it at the same time because let's just look at the standings right now. If we had a one-division format, we'd have Winnipeg at the top, Calgary, Saskatchewan, BC, Toronto, Montreal, Edmonton, Ottawa, Hamilton. So four of the five teams in this division are in the East, are at the bottom, and rightfully so because they stink this year. Um, And I love it because we see the top teams at the top. And I love it because I think it forces GMs and coaches and player personnel staff to say, man, if we want to get into this top four or whatever the playoff format looks like, top six, we have to get better 
uh, all over the place. The depth has to be better. The Canadian starters have to be better. We need to find a franchise quarterback. We need to scout better. We need to draft better. Um, we need to be just be better. And right now, it's uh, this East-West format is, if you're in the East, you're thinking, we just have to beat two other teams to get into the playoffs. That's basically the mentality that you have to have. Forcing them to go into that one-division format would, I think, change kind of the mind, uh, mindset of that. The part that I don't like about it and we've seen it over the last two decades, is the Eastern teams aren't as good, whatever the reason is. So do you further alienate Argos fans who are struggling to get 10,000 people through the gate? Do you further alienate uh, fans of the other Eastern teams? Because more often than not, they're going to be at the bottom and out of the playoffs, which means no playoff revenue, no Grey Cup revenue if they're not hosting. It's going to be a tough sell in the East. Mm. It's going to be interesting. Okay, uh, you know, hypothetical question: do, do, do we see one division in my lifetime? I'm not. I'm not banking on it. Uh, what, what do you think, Derek? Uh, do, I mean, what are we talking? Like, you plan to live in like 2070, <laughs> like 50, 50 more years in the next 50 years where we see it? I, How long do you get? I, I, um, I, I just don't think they will. I think there's, I think there's this uh, construct of. Well, rivalries and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But uh, honestly, probably a big part of it is geography and costs, right? Because having, uh, having Hamilton play Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa three times a season, those travel costs are less than, sure. well, what if BC's on the schedule three times? Well, that's now we're talking expensive, right? So I, I, think, I think a lot of, and especially this year's schedule, just came down to, you know what, how do we minimize costs again after we minimize them in 21? So we're probably going to stay that way. And then, I mean, this is a big, you know, Kilometer wise, this is a big country to to travel that much. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and 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 you know what, Rick? Uh, I guess it all boils down to: Do we get that tenth team? You know, do we get a team in Atlantic Canada? Do we get a team, you know, uh, in Quebec City? And if we do, then I guess if you have a five and five, uh, you know, division uh, East West, uh, th- th- then I'm probably okay with it. Yeah, I'm not sure how many grains of sand you have left in your hourglass, but uh, <laughs> listen, I think if we add if we add an Atlantic Canada team, I think that further. Uh, pushes the east-west format because now you have a more balanced schedule right. uh, i think having one division with 10 teams you know from a travel and cost perspective i agree with derek that that's that's a pricey venture you can keep kind of the schedule quirks as they are but you still have to you know cross the country and adding an atlantic team just further uh, adds dollars to that bottom line but I'd love to. I'd love for the CFL to say, "Hey, listen, guys. For the next five years, we're trying something different. We're going to have this one division format. It's going to be an all-out battle royale. May the best team win. Here we go and try it for a five-year pilot project. I'd love to see it. I don't think we're going to see it, but I think it'd be fantastic." The second hot button topic of the week is dirty players in the Canadian Football League. And I think we have a new winner for the dirtiest player ever to play in the Canadian Football League. I think most football fans know where we're going to go with this one. Uh, Garrett Marino. That's Mazzoli who is down after throwing that pass. Rough play disqualification. Saskatchewan number 92. This will be a 25-yard penalty and an automatic first down. Of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, it was not a good look on the player. It was not a good look on the organization in Saskatchewan. This is a guy that's only been in this league, you know, for what, a season and a half. He gets the longest suspension in CFL history, four games. Interesting how the Canadian Football League broke it down. Two for the hit on Mazzoli. It was dangerous and reckless. One for the verbal comments that he made about Mazzoli's heritage. 
one for the reckless tackle on the offensive lineman in Saskatchewan. As I mentioned, longest suspension in CFL history. Is it enough? Derek Taylor, uh, you go first. Uh I am a guy who is very reluctant to take a guy's career away. So I saw the calls for Marino should never play again. Uh, I I feel like I get very uncomfortable when it's just kick him out. Just kick him out of the league. Forget it. It's over. Because uh, people should be able to make a living. Four games to me uh, is is fine. I thought at least two for the hit itself. I'm, I was surprised they, they, they suspended him for the hit he put on Dino Boyd, which is absolutely right. Like that was that was not good as well. Um, one game for, and it was well couched by saying his heritage. When uh, I guess dropping the R word in that press release would have would have you know put put that on the on the Google map forever, right? As TFL and racist would not have been a great uh, Google to uh, have out there for the rest of time. Only one for that is maybe the point where I think okay, I I. That one maybe should have been a little lengthier, let's say. But two for the hit, I think, is 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 appropriate. And had they wanted to go more, I'd have been behind that too. But no less than two for what was an atrocious, atrocious hit on right. Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, what, what do you think, Rick? You know, if the league really, really wanted to set a precedent, they would have said, listen, you're gone for the rest of the regular season. It's a bit too harsh in my estimation, but if they really wanted to drop the gauntlet and send a message to other players, because at the end of the day, this is what they are you know, trying to do in some regard, they would have said this, the, the, the both hits, uh, the one on Masoli especially, the... Um, racist slash heritage aspect to it, uh, I think d- definitely deserves more than one game. Uh, even, you know, the celebratory actions after getting ejected, I thought, wow, this just does not look very good for the league. Uh, I, I thought at least six. I'm fine with four. Uh, I don't think that sets a, hey, listen, guys, n- no one better do this again uh, or mimic what uh, Marino just did. Um, the league, I know, is getting attention from this. I don't think it's the attention they really want. I think they want to see those highlight reel touchdowns, the big hits, the physicality, yes, of the game. But this extracurricular stuff, uh, get it out of the game ASAP. This is a league that has celebrated the likes of Dirty 30, Jim Young in Vancouver. Uh, we've seen some 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 pretty aggressive I don't want to call them dirty, but we've seen some pretty aggressive uh, play in this league. And, you know, Stampeder fans certainly know Kyrie Saber, you know, ended John Cornish's career. It was a brutal high hit. You know, he took a, a cheap shot on Cody Fajardo. You can ask B.J. Cunningham about Kyrie Saber. Hey, some people have said Mike O'Shea was one of the dirtiest players ever to play in this game. I think it was Angus Reed of the Lions, that, you know, saying, hey, filthy McNasty. He he was the worst. Uh, you know, you, you got all this sh- sin- uh, Simone Lawrence talk in in Hamilton uh what what do you mean you know you're in Hamilton uh, you know is 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 this is Simone even in the same conversation as this player uh uh, Rick you go first uh I wouldn't put Simone in the same light as uh Mr. Marino that is for sure does Simone play to the line and maybe sometimes a little over it yeah sure there's no doubt about that ask Zach Caleros a couple of years ago on that that nasty hit in game number one and drive number one I believe it was for the Bombers um so yeah Lawrence plays just over the line but you look at other players from years gone by whether it's 
favorites. Angelo Mosca, you mentioned Kyrie Zaber, you know, the name Ed Fillion comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Jeff the Nutcracker Braswell, all these, you know, notorious big hitters. Adriano Belli, the Kissing Bandit, these guys brought it each and every game. Yeah, they got ejected at some points. Yeah, they got fined. Maybe they got a one or two game suspension for doing something really nasty. But at the end of the day, I think their legacy is they played hard. They played to win and they played to hurt, not necessarily injure, but they played to hurt and it was affected for them. A lot of these guys are Hall of Fame players. Uh, I wouldn't put them in the same category as Marino. I think he went way over the line. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh, what do you think, Derek? Uh Simone has real problems. Like Simone's decision making in those critical moments is real problems because uh, Kalaros uh, in the head. I remember that was the first game I called for the Riders. It was the third play, and I just thought that's that is absolutely. I just threw it atrocious. I, I didn't know what word to use. I was trying to establish myself as a as a Riders guy, and I'm like, I, I can't believe he just hit him in the head. And then Cody Fajardo last season slides feet first, and Simone exact same thing hits him in the head. This pat uh, this season already. What didn't he get? Kalaros uh, uh, Fajardo in the in the back of the head and in a less egregious one. Um, I just, here's the thing. Uh, Simone's got some troubles on that. I, I don't think that uh, Ryder fans who are bringing up Simone Lawrence at this time have any point to make. Well, what about Simone Lawrence? Uh, what about him? He didn't hit Jeremiah Masoli. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about Garrett Marino at this time. Marino is honest to goodness. When I saw him in training camp in 21, uh, the two on his 92 was ripped off because he was going a thousand miles an hour in camp and he tried to, he fought Dan Clark at one point or tried to fight Dan Clark in practice. And he, I thought, Oh, this guy, if he, if he stays around, he could be a fan favorite in a couple of years. And, and it turned out that, uh, you know, he ha- it seems like he has no off switch. Like, it's just, I'm going to go and I don't care. Uh, I don't know if, if you guys did too, but uh, when this all kind of came out and, and everybody saw this and started talking about it. Players from other teams were sending me clips uh, on social media, DMing me, hey, here's what he did against us. And you just see more awful shots to quarterbacks' knees, and you think, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Because, I mean, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win the Great Cup. Everybody wants to win a game. Everybody's competitive. But some guys have respect for the other people who are doing their job too, right? Like, Masoli, what if Masoli, it was his ACL, and what if Masoli at, what, 33 said, you know what, I'm, I'm out, I'm done, I, I've had enough, rehab's going to be too much, I'm retiring. And it robbed us of one of the tr- one of the really exciting player who's been in this league for a decade. You just, you have to have more respect, and whether Marino gets that himself, or the club probably has to step up and go, you need to be better or you're done. Mm-hmm. He's just not that important a player that we can go, hey, you know what, a uh, depth defensive tackle can just do whatever he wants. There are a million guys like Garrett Marino that could come up to Canada and, and do what he does, bull rush and, and get a couple sacks and be fancy without having the total disrespect for, for everybody else around him. It'd be like the worst driver on the 401, right? Just, <laughs> oh, you know what? Get out of my way. I'm taking your middle lane now. Like, well, you just bashed my car into the into the guardrail. What, how about we just kind of respect each other and, and what we're trying to do here? Yeah, you know, there's a real fine line between aggressive play, and, and we understand this is a physical game. Uh, you're going to get very, very aggressive. And, 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 you know, the fine line between aggressiveness and dirty. 
And and it's interesting because you know I and and we all we 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 all work with either former players or we've talked to former players or talked to current players and uh, you know what goes on in a football scrum you know the the, the ball is down there you know you got uh, five or six players deep down there. there's a there's a lot of crap going on uh, inside that scrum and uh, some of it probably not for uh, not for human consumption because it's it's some pretty nasty stuff Rick yeah there's a lot of uh, how do I put this twisting and turning uh, gnawing and gnashing yeah it gets downright and dirty and you know Derek made a good point of you know there's there's a line or there's a switch and some players most players 99.9 percent of them are able to turn that switch off or know when to um you know not commit that egregious hit or that foul or the low or high blow they know where the line is and they respect the opponent they're you know fighting tooth and nail for every inch of surface on the playing field but they know where that line is and they're not willing to cross it because they have that respect for that other person that other competitor who's trying to do the same and uh, we're just not seeing that out of the guy like marino and yeah you know lawrence has been there too he's crossed that line many a times and some guys have pointed the finger at him to not have that respect he you know at most will deny that he's crossing that line and it there seems to be something missing where maybe that line is too blurry for those kind of guys at the end of the day they're hurting a lot of people can a player like that change Derek I think they can like we we've seen a real transition I mean uh, just just within all of us think of how different football was when we started watching the CFL right where ah headshots are fine or head slaps or or whatever or uh uh, things have changed so dramatically, and you know sometimes you may seem unfair to defenders, but it's it just keeps it safe for for everybody. I think everybody has the, has the potential to change. I don't think it's so it's too much of an ask. Let's put it that way. I don't think it's too much of an ask to go. Here's a here's a target zone that you have when you're attempting to hit a receiver or a running back or a quarterback. Uh, and, but to me, uh, you you say that, and then you have to be ready to punish it. Right. And that's where that's where a lot of this, I think, is is probably coming from is, well, if the officials on the field don't flag it when it happens and start throwing guys out of games and the league doesn't come down and go, hey, that's awful. Uh, we, we're not going to allow that. And by the way, we're not going to reduce your suspension. You're sitting the whole thing. Both both the officials to me in the league have a part in this and they got to get tougher on this and enforce these rules that they put in. Go, this is the strike zone. It's it's able to keep people. We're doing this to keep people healthy as healthy as you can be and prevent brain injuries. Now you have to enforce it because there's, there's a lot of folks that there's a lot of things that have to happen or a lot of people who have to look the other way to get to a Garrett Marino tries to get uh, Jeremiah Masoli again situation. Well, in closing the book on this topic, I I will give it up for, for Nate Bahar because that may be one of the best rants that I have ever seen on TSN when he just unloaded on the player. Anybody that cheers for that dude, supports that dude, cheers when he runs up the field flexing and all that stuff, I hope you find a way to sleep tonight. The same dude yelling racist in the bottom of a pile, the same dude who went low on one of the best quarterbacks in this league, one of the best dudes in this league, I cannot, I literally cannot believe what I witnessed. That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you got people screaming and cheering for that. I know this place has to be better than this. This is supposed to be the heartland Canada. Everyone's supposed to be hunky-dory and all smiles and all that stuff. That was ridiculous. And number three, we all know since we were in freaking university, since we were in high school, when refs let go for, for God knows how long, we know what happens. It's like the, it's the most obvious thing in the world. You let people punch, headbutt for quarters and quarters on time, you know what the hell is going to happen, and I know I'm going to get fined, and I literally don't care. That dude has two kids. He has two beautiful children he has to support. And you go through his shins and then get up flexing and calling him stuff that nobody should be calling anybody? 
Come, that's beyond any code of, on earth. That's beyond any code. And Hay was in the barn yesterday. He came up to us at dinner at the keg and said some crazy stuff to us. Like it's freaking Friday Night Lights in Texas. Like nobody does. Grow up, bro. Nobody gives a damn about you. I didn't even know his name until we had to see him on the field and freaking point at his nameplate because he just injured our star quarterback. No one knows who the hell he is. He set that stuff in motion at 7.30 p.m. yesterday at the keg on Doondy or whatever the hell it's called. That's a joke, bro. And I don't care. We have to play them again. I'm sure they're all going to be yipping and yapping and talking about Bahar, you're, you're this, you're that. I literally don't care. If they support his ass, they know who he is. They know, because when he left the field, they had some of them said, yeah, we know who he is. We know, we know, we know. And yet everybody's still cheering. Everybody's putting up their hands saying, yeah, let's go, let's go. That is, that is bull****. That is absolutely bull****. I, I don't know if it gets any better than that, Rick. Yeah, that was something else. I mean, uh, I, I thought it was well thought out. I thought it was uh, to the point. Uh, I'm not sure you could, could have read between the lines because it was all there, uh, you know, for everyone to see and hear. I think one thing, too, is, and we kind of forget this from time to time, is this game is so fast. So I think we should credit those players who do know where the line is, who still play like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're they're being fired through a cannon. Uh, but they are able to control themselves and make those quick, uh, lightning quick decisions uh, at key points of the game. And those who play and are, are the best of the best should be, you know, really heralded for that kind of mental, uh, you know, acuity to say, hey, I'm going to make this play. I'm going to do it as safe and as ferocious as possible, if that makes sense, and still keep everyone on the field safe. It's, it's hard to do because this game is, is, is as fast as it's ever been. Okay, to close the book on uh, this edition of the podcast, uh, you know, and and to keep this podcast timely and topical, uh, last week we saw a battle of undefeated teams that really wasn't much of a battle because the Winnipeg Blue Bombers say they're the defending champions for a reason. They rolled over the BC Lions. The Lions were getting an awful lot of love in the Canadian Football League. But Derek, we've got another battle of undefeated teams this weekend. I don't know about you, but I'm jacked to see what happens uh, Friday night, uh, the Bombers and the Stan. Peters. Oh, I absolutely am as well, because uh, this is this is one of the two teams that I kind of feared in, in the West. Right. As I kind of tried to prognosticate it, I thought Winnipeg was was the best team in the CFL. But but my my two conditions were if Nathan Rourke is even uh, average as a CFL quarterback, BC is going to be a problem. And I, I looked at Calgary and said, well, if Bo Levi Mitchell is is back to what any anywhere near anywhere north of 2021 and 2019 then the roster calgary has put together is going to be a problem as well and it honestly it hasn't happened in the way i thought for calgary but Bo is healthy at what seven 69 completion mm-hmm. six touchdowns and it, you go okay well if you have the quarterback and and Bo looks like the quarterback uh low turnovers and, and high performance, uh, they're going to be a problem as well because they've been winning games without, you know, Reggie Bagleton and Kamar Jordan both being stars in the same game. It's been Malik Henry. Option door number three is the one that's been uh, – that has the tiger behind it. It's it's amazing. That defense is ready to go too. D- through all the injuries. Well, Jock, you've been seeing the injuries. Through all the injuries and the guys they could be putting in that back six, they haven't really been able to, and yet they're still unbeaten. I and then oh by the way it's Dave Dickinson and that's a sharp organization in Calgary too like this is at the moment uh, at the moment let's say two of the three best organizations and I and I only kind of push Hamilton to the side for a second just because uh, they're zero and four but I mean these are two of the top very very peak organizations at this moment in the CFL and we get them in an unbeaten game on Friday I love it. 
Guys, I'm out of time. Uh, Rick, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of uh, Football North, and uh, we're going to do it again real soon. Uh, Derek, uh, you have a great night, and uh, look forward to the game on the weekend. Guys, take care. Thanks, Jock. You got it. All right, that does it for another edition of Football North. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast. Would love to hear your feedback. Maybe, just maybe, you have a topic that you would like us to address. Hit me up. My email address, jock at am770chqr.com.